Southeast Radio's morning mix. Chat, news, and your views. Alan Corcoran. Good morning, Alan, and good morning to your listeners. Uh, Brendan, we're going to look at a number of issues with you. First of all, the very worrying trend when it comes to hospital beds. I think there are over 12,000 situations where people cannot get a hospital bed at the moment. This is very worrying as we come into the height of winter. It's more than worrying. It's shocking. Uh, More than 12,500 people without hospital beds who need them. Um, This is like a perennial recurring theme, only every year it seems to be happening earlier I mean, it used to be that this would be the situation post-Christmas in January at the height of the winter flu and so on. Uh, Now it's happening um, well before we get into the the worst of the winter season. And uh, it's a simple and inescapable fact that we don't have enough beds, we don't have enough um, staff to service beds, uh, and that has to be addressed. It's been talked about for for too long. We need to to do a massive building programme. And in Wexford General... As you know, we're waiting for two new uh, significant um, uh, units of beds, uh, modern beds that would provide um, complete isolation for people um, in a a, a, a situation where they wouldn't be cross-infection. And we need to have that motored on now. It's it's an absolute priority. Uh, We've already heard from A2 Councillor Jim Codd this week about the importance of Wexford General Hospital that we all fought to save and to protect. And thanks to God we still have it. But there's still the the delay waiting on the beds there. Have you an update on that, Brendan? Can you you share something with that? Not not really. In truth, as you know, I was delighted when I was Minister for Public Expenditure uh, to ensure that all the delayed capital works uh, not only the new accident and emergency, uh, but the new maternity and so on, all came uh, and was built in that uh, few-year period. Uh, and that was the campaign that you so ably uh, were involved in uh, and championed. Um, but the next phase of that was to replace uh, existing um, large wards uh, with the individual capacity that all modern hospitals should have. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the, the foot has been taken off the pedal in, uh, as regards every development in Wexford, as far as I can see, uh, and those beds are not being provided. And a very, very annoying aspect of that is that the application for our significant hospital extension uh, and the one in Kilkenny went in at the same time and were to be developed in parallel. That hasn't happened. Kilkenny right. is on, underway. Wexford isn't. I don't know what that tells you, but it tells you that we need uh, to be heard on this issue. And I suppose if we have to start banging the drum again, um, uh, you will be available, I'm sure, to do the same thing, uh, because we would have no hospital at all if it wasn't for the campaigning efforts of the Wexford people. The other aspect of hospital as well as the children's hospital costs mm. seem to be growing and growing and growing. Um, what's happening here, please? Well, nobody's in control, uh, and that's so true of a number of a very significant uh, building project. Uh, and the Taoiseach now is telling uh, the doll that, oh, no, we can't uh, actually uh, disclose a figure because that would uh, uh, help the, the, the builder, uh, the developer, to, um, um, to maximise his profits. Uh, but, I mean, any public project, we have to know what the, uh, the estimated cost is before we embark upon it. Um, there obviously will be things that arise, a change of design, or we had a, a, a COVID pandemic that knocked everything for six, and there is inflation. So these things are normally accounted for in very specific terms uh, in, in, in any contract, but apparently not in this one. Um, the, the 
current government and its immediate predecessor obviously signed a contract with very limited controls uh, and we're going to have a hospital that's going to cost in excess of two billion now i have to say that i know for the great bulk of the people of ireland we desperately need uh, a world-class children's hospital and if you have a sick child you don't care what the cost is you just want it done so there is a double imperative get the hospital built and open and that is seems to be um an ever retreating date as well and secondly do it um with as much controls as you could enforce at this late stage of the development Right, there's some other issues I'd like to discuss with you as well. So just getting back before I move away from hospitals, when it comes to Wexford General Hospital and the demands and the, and the shortage of beds, etc., what are you in effect saying that needs to be done immediately then? Is it a case of all hands on deck to push for these extra beds or what are you saying? It is uh, the, the, the same concentrated pressure as was brought previously. Now, in truth, and I, I, I say this, very little happened until uh, I was in a position to, as Minister for Public Expenditure, to provide the resources for that. And even that was a battle. Um, so we just have to have the same concentration of effort uh, on all our TDs and all our public reps uh, to bring to bear on government, and particularly on the Department of Health and the Minister for Health. Right. We may have a new one in, in a week or two, I don't know. Um, but to ensure yeah. that the very important facilities in Wexford Hospital that are required for a, a growing population uh, and a growing hinterland is provided. Okay, let's look at two other big talking points at the moment. The annual rate of inflation across the euro area has eased back. I've also seen a kind of reduction in petrol and diesel prices. We sure could do with some good news. Um, putting on your former public expenditure minister hat, what is this telling us at the moment? Well, most economists have told us that they believed that inflation is not a permanent feature that it is specifically caused by a number of factors, including uh, obviously the war, uh, Putin's war uh, when he invaded uh, Ukraine, and that has caused uh, inflationary pressures across the world and, and, and shortages of, of materials. And we're still coming out of COVID, and you can see that the manufacturing base of China uh, is still um, uh, undergoing very great strains and pressures with significant lockdowns resulting in uh, shortages of materials internationally. So they're all feeding in a temporary basis uh, to inflation. Uh, the fact that there's been a slight dip both here in the Eurozone uh, but also in the United States would hopefully give us an indication that perhaps there's a chink of light and that the uh, oppressing rate of inflation that we now have of 10 percent uh, will decrease and that next year uh, that uh, we'll get back to more normal levels um, hopefully the target rate of two percent inflation will be achieved within a couple of years uh, but in the meanwhile people are suffering and people need to have relief uh, and the number of schemes that the government have designed are most welcome but they will have to be repeated into next year and like, do you reckon it could be a bit more positive news for us coming up to Christmas to try and increase the spend? Because in a little while I'm going to be speaking to the chair of the Irish Hotels Federation, Colin Neville. They have concerns. So is there, we talk about this revolving euro and the need to shop local. Is, is yeah. this a good indication that there could be a little bit of good news? Well, you know, people are, are naturally cautious. And if they think that they're heading into very difficult times in the first quarter of next year, they're going to hold on to whatever meagre resources they have as best they can. Uh, so I think a little bit of positivity is a good thing, um, an indication that people can spend, that uh, hopefully 
that the support the government has provided to date, as I say, will be replicated in the early part of next year until this inflation spiral is brought under control. I think that will give hope to people to spend and have uh, an enjoyable Christmas. For God knows the people of Wexford in general and the people of Ireland uh, have endured very difficult years through uh, COVID and a little bit of um, celebration, a little bit of positivity at Christmas would be a lovely and blessed and welcome thing. Finally, the thoughts on a four-day week. It's another big talking point mm. at the moment. Uh, I mean, is this, uh, is this a pipe dream? Is this going to be a reality? And if so, when would it likely to come in? Because I'm sure a lot of people will welcome that a four-day week. Yeah. It's, um, it's something we've been talked about for a long time. It's something that has been tested in a number of countries. And all the international data to date is positive. Um, as you know, a major um, testing of it for nine months has just concluded in Ireland. And the data coming in, and this is uh, objective academic data, has said that it's uniformly positive. Positive for the employer in terms of no decrease in productivity. In fact, in many instances, better productivity and a happier workforce. And obviously, better for the workforce who can plan their family life, um, their social life, uh, uh, around three days rather than the normal two days uh, that we're used to working. So I think it is a feature that will, you will see growing rather than diminishing. It won't be for everybody. There will be um, hands-on services that will need to be delivered on a 24-7 basis or at least a seven-day week basis. Right. Uh, but for a, a lot of people, it will be a real prospect for the future. You were in Britain during the week. Mm. What's, what's the, the mood there? Were, were you talking to your colleagues in the British Labour Party? Did you come across... I mean, what's the, the, the general yeah. vibe there at the moment? Well, I was there um, as part of a, a small uh, group of, of uh, four TDs uh, to meet for the first time really since COVID uh, lifted uh, on a face-to-face basis with a cross-section of parliamentarians in both the House of Commons and in the House of Lords and in both the governing Tory party and in the Labour Party. It was really instructive, to be honest with you, um, because, you know, you can read and see uh, so much from the outside, but when you're actually talking to people one-to-one, especially individually uh, and in large, you get a perspective on things. Um, I think, to be quite honest with you, um, Britain is going to face a very difficult period. Uh, Economically, um, it has very serious challenges. And I don't think it really has come to terms with those yet. Um, one thing that is clear to us, to me, talking to so many different um, Conservative Party members of Parliament, is that it's a very divided party. Uh, and I think it'll be very difficult for the third Prime Minister they've had in, this, in, in a year, Rishi Sunak, to get anything done. Uh, and uh, the Labour Party, obviously, in, in Britain, are preparing for government. They think they will be elected. But they're ultra-cautious. Uh, and they're fearful that when they do get into government, that the country will be completely banjaxed uh, in terms of the economic options that they might have. So, you know, a weak or um, an economically vulnerable Britain is not good for us. They're still, although much less than they used to be, our most significant trading partner. Uh, we have an awful lot of Irish people living in, in, in Britain, uh, and their well-being is good for us. So I would love to see Britain do well. Now, obviously, Brexit, and I'll conclude on this, Brexit um, is almost uh, the, the thing that you cannot talk about mm. um, because 
uh, objectively, it has caused enormous damage. And the most recent data by the uh, British um, Oversight uh, Budget uh, Committee has indicated that in real terms, it has reduced their trade capacity by 15%. And all these great trade deals that we're going to do when they were free of the European Union have turned out to be um, literally dust. Uh, The two they've done, one with New Zealand and one with Australia, one of the people who negotiated them, George Osborne, has described the Australian deal as disastrous for Britain. Mm. So, uh, you know, anybody with any half a brain would know that uh, the EU... With, when Britain was in it, 500 million people is going to get a better trade deal than Britain by itself. Right. Um, but that reality doesn't seem to dawn on people. Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views.